We're starting a new little series tonight in uh, the book of Psalms. If you're not f- familiar with the Psalms, um, it's a collection of songs. It, they were designed to be sung and not read, uh, but they don't sing very well anymore unless you're really talented, which I'm not. And they're written, no, I'm not, no, I'm not doing it. Uh, they're written by this guy called David, one of the most uh, influential, one of the most significant characters of the Old Testament. And um, he's a prolific songwriter, and he goes on to become king of Israel. And I want to begin this series with a talk that I'm titling, God is Still Good. God is Still Good. I love Ikea. Does anyone else love Ikea? Yes. A few people here love Ikea. I love Ikea so much that I go there not even just to shop sometimes. Sometimes I go there just for a day, day out with my kids when it's rainy. Like We love going to Ikea. We love wandering around the showroom and looking at all the different things that you can buy. My kids love jumping on the beds and climbing into the cupboards and the wardrobes and moving things around. And I'm sure the Ikea guys don't really love that. But well, we have a great time. We eat the meatballs. Like We love Ikea. And the last time we went before lockdown meant that it had to close, we uh, noticed something that we'd not seen before, and that was in each room as you uh, transferred, like progressed through the showroom. You know, it's like a journey, isn't it? And so we would go through each stage of the showroom, and at the end of each one, there would be a little white tablet, you know, like an iPad or something, with, with three buttons underneath it. One that said good, one that said okay, and one that said bad. And the idea was that, that you would rate the experience you just had in that part of the shop. And so you would go and you'd maybe press green if you were happy with it, and it was a good experience, orange if it was kind of just all right, and red if you'd had a bad experience, if you thought there was something not so good about it. And, and we kind of enjoyed pressing all the buttons but my kids uh, my girls I've got these two amazing beautiful wonderful girls I prayed every day before they were born that they would look like my wife and they do so I have these amazing girls and they didn't really get the concept of this and and I'm sure that the people at Ikea were trying to collect all this really clever data about the best bits of their store and the bits that needed improvement and my kids ruined it by going up to each stand and just bashing the buttons as much as they could and they were having this great time You know that experience where you're rating something good, okay, bad. I sometimes think that we approach God in the same way. When we're happy, when we're contented, when we're impressed and we have everything we want, we we rate God good. But when things around us change, when they become hard, we change the way that we see him, the way that we relate to him. But God is still good. God is still good. You know that statement, it's easy to say when things are going well, but it's hard to believe when they're not. Try telling a friend who's going through a difficult breakup or a divorce that God is still good. Try telling the the business owner who's going broke because they haven't been able to open for months on end that God is good. Try telling the person who's grieving someone they've lost or suffering a a horrific long-term illness that God is good. You know, I grew up in the church and so many times I I noticed that Christians around me, this phrase, God is good, was like a kind of tick. You know, every time something good happened in their lives, I, I know that I do this myself. We just respond with God is good, God is good. But when things are are tough and they're painful and they're difficult, it's not always the first thing that jumps to our minds. So often our perspective of God is distorted by our circumstances, shaped by the things that we read, the channels that we follow, the people that we surround ourselves with. Whatever your life looks like right now, I want to tell you this. God is still good. Not because of your circumstances, but because of who he is. 
In Psalm 34, David, the songwriter, he writes these words. I'm going to read them. If you've got a Bible on your phone, you grab it up. Psalm 34. I'm going to read them. They're going to appear on the screen. It says this, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glory with, glory the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man, he's talking about himself, called upon the Lord and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps all those around uh, who fear him and he delivers them. And then we come to this famous words. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. It'd be easy to assume, wouldn't it, that these were words that David wrote in a a high point of his life, but actually he wrote them in one of the most difficult, one of the most insecure moments of his life. Having grown up in this obscure rural setting as a shepherd boy, he's been thrust into this national fame of uh, having defeated Goliath, the Philistine warrior. And rather than that fame, that that notoriety leading to success, he's seen as a a threat to the king of Israel, Saul. And Saul is this leader so insecure, so undermined by David that he decides to have him killed. And David hears about this plan and, and he escapes. And he escapes going to the Philistine city where Goliath came from. And even there he realizes that he's not safe. And again, he has to escape. And he ends up hiding in a cave. This cave is called the Cave of Adullam. And it it literally in Hebrew means retreat or refuge. And some theologians, historians have come to the conclusion that David wrote this psalm, these words, while living in that cave. And despite the situation that he's living in, he writes this psalm full of hope, full of security, full of worship. In, in the cave, in the darkness of the cave, David comes to this extraordinary conclusion. His circumstances don't define how good God is. Because even when his back's against the wall, even when things are going badly around him, no matter what danger he's in right now or will be or could be, God is good because of who he is. David, he just, he just lives and breathes the goodness of God. And I wonder if we want the same strength, if we want the same security in our lives, how how do we get there? Well, I see this process, this journey taking place in David's life. I see these three things. Humility, that leads to honesty, and an honesty that leads to worship. Humility that leads to honesty, and an honesty that leads to worship. David's confidence in God's goodness is rooted in humility. Even though he's this national celebrity, even though everyone knows him, even though songs have been written about how great he is, he knows that his status is not what earns God's favor towards him. Instead, he describes himself like this in verse six. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. Having faced more struggles than you and I ever will, David is humble and he lives out this reality that it's God who overcomes his fears. It's God who liberates and delivers. It's God who frees him from guilt and shame. I think humility looks something like this. Let God be God because we are not. 
Let God be God because we are not. Once we accept that, we can begin to accept that he is good despite the things that we're facing, despite our circumstances. The thing about this humility is that it's incredibly attractive. People are drawn towards and they're influenced by humility. This stage of David's life is recorded in uh, 1 Samuel 22 and it describes the time when he took refuge in this cave. And it says that, that having been there, he was joined by 400 people. And those 400 people, it says, were discontented. They were in debt, they were distressed, they were struggling. The, the misfits of the local area, me and Matt, the broken, the anxious, the depressed are drawn into this place because of David's security in God. Can you imagine 400 people, the 400 misfits of our city gathered in a cave, just telling stories about the goodness of God? You know, I look out and I wonder if that's us. You know, I wonder if, if we are the people who have discovered that, that we're not it. We're not perfect, we're broken, we're, we're struggling, we're facing difficulty, but we come here together because we recognize the goodness of God and we wanna talk about it together. You know, there are moments in life that humble us and in those moments, we most clearly see what God is like. One of the best preachers of the last century, uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, he said this, uh, it's gonna come up on the screen, God is good. Not because he causes things that seem or feel good to happen in our lives, but because in the midst of the storm, God comes closer to us than the storm ever could be. Yeah, I think David discovered that sometimes the only way to advance is to retreat. That the time spent in the cave wasn't wasted because of the humility of his circumstances and the company of the people who gathered with him. He's reminded time and time and time again that God is still good. God is still good. And it's this humility that David experiences, this having everything ripped away from him that leads him to a place of honesty with God. The best thing about the Psalms that we're gonna hear over the next few weeks is they're full of honesty. They're full of rawness and the depth of human emotion. There's anger, there's love, there's uh, struggle, there's disappointment, there's grief, there's expectation, there's hope. And if we wanna find security in the goodness of God, we need to develop an honesty in our relationship with him. I don't know about you, but I find that difficult. I find that really, really difficult. I find it difficult to be honest at the best of times, let alone honest with God. There's somebody here in this room today, I'm not gonna let them know who it was, who once directly asked me if I had plugged my phone charger into a socket that they had specifically reserved for another purpose and I barefaced lied to them. Liz Grace, she's right there, I'm gonna name her. And I barefaced lied and immediately she said, did you? And I was like, yeah, I did. You know, honesty's difficult. It's hard, look, don't all look shocked, we all lie. Okay, honesty's difficult. It's hard, it's, it's painful sometimes, it's difficult to be honest. And we're British and so maybe it's even hard for us to be honest about how we feel sometimes. You know, one of the things that uh, the Duke of Edinburgh, Prince Philip, was known for was his honesty, his willingness to speak his mind. He once opened uh, something in Canada with these words. He said, I declare this thing is open, whatever it is. <laughs> You know, into a microphone. David learns in this psalm the power of honesty with God. To come before God with real, honest emotion. God is good enough. 
And he's not dependent upon good things happening to us. He's, he's big enough to handle our disappointment. He's big enough to handle our emotions. He's big enough to handle our honesty. I think we need that honesty in our relationship with him to leave behind the carefully scripted prayers that contain the things that we think he'll want to hear. Instead, to come to him like my kids often do, with tears, with frustration, with sadness, with excitement and joy. If God is still good, we can afford to be honest and real with him. Because this humility leads to honesty, and this honesty, it leads us to worship. The most famous verse of this psalm goes like this. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. David says, taste and see that the Lord is good. He uses this metaphor of food because our worship is an expression of our hunger for God. You know, this year we've had to relearn how to worship without singing. I found that I'm amazing at humming. I never knew I was so good at humming, but I've got really, really good at it in the last year. As we've come to worship God, as we've had to find new ways to express what we think and feel about him, we've had to find new ways. And, and for me, that way is, has been this. Every time before we start a service, every time before we start streaming, I try to remind myself of something good that God has done, something good about who he is to remind myself again and again that he is good. And I think there's this opportunity as we come back into what we hope will be normal life, as we dream of the restrictions easing and singing and celebrating and you know, being together, being released, to, to become hungry again for the things that we want to see God do in us and through us. Hungry for our friends who don't know him. Hungry for his presence in our lives. More dependent upon him in our lives. Our response to his goodness is worship. Our response to his goodness is worship. I want to land with this. It's been a weird year, right? It's been a weird, weird year. But there was something that happened to me in the last week which I, I wanted to share with you and that was last week at the 7 p.m. service, Matt and Laura were leading and somebody texted that number on the screen um, with a word, something that they felt that God was saying to them. Um, and this word went like this, somebody felt distant from God and wanted to know him again. And I was standing at the back over there to like, trying to get ready to open the doors and say goodbye to everyone. And as I heard those words, I was like, yeah, that's me. I feel distant. I feel like I'm drifting. I feel like uh, I'm not close. I feel like I don't even know what my faith's built on anymore. All I wanted to do was put my hand up. It's not always easy to admit this when you're the pastor of a church, but in the last year, lockdowns and online church, there have been times when my faith dried up and when it drifted. When in, in contrast with everything I could see, I, I doubted and I questioned the goodness of God. And in that moment, in that moment, I, I felt like God came and stood next to me at the back of the church and I felt his presence, I felt his closeness for the first time in a long time. And, and this week I've lived through, I want to share with you because I feel like I've met him all over again. And as I come back to him and as I spend time with him, I realize that he never really went away. Yeah. Maybe that's where you are today. Maybe that's where your faith now is. Maybe you're here today and you say, I've got no faith at all. 
Maybe you started this pandemic trusting God. Maybe your faith was alive and now it feels dry. I want to tell you this today. God is still good. He didn't go anywhere. He's not disappointed in you. And you can taste and see that he is good. You can find your refuge in him again.